finishing up our discussion on Romans chapter 8 today. Um, we've spent a few weeks in this chapter because there's just so much that we can glean from it, so much that we need to know. Um, so far in Paul's letter to the Romans, what we've seen is uh, the very basic instructions of the Christian faith, the basic uh, design, intention, and purpose uh, of how to live out the Christian faith in a broken world, in a world that is also vying for our attention. Uh, but one of the ways that Paul does that is he focuses not so much on the world. We tend to do that in, in the church a lot. We focus on the world and the influences of the world trying to change those. But what Paul does is he talks about the influence of the flesh, our, our natural selves, who we were before Christ, who we were before we understood the workings of the Holy Spirit in this invitation to abundant life. So where we tend to look at the world and say, well, the world's causing this and the world's doing that, Paul said, no, actually all those things come from deep within you. All of those desires, all of those natural tendencies that we try to blame the world, those are actually things from within us. When Paul started out the chapter, he, he said a very important statement. He said, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And we believe that. That's the, the basic tenet of why we feel you need to give your life to Christ is because there is no condemnation for those who have received a new life or salvation. Sometimes in the church, we try to sell it as fire insurance. If you pray this prayer, you'll be good. You'll be taken care of. You can go on with life and you're good to go as long as you've prayed that prayer. But when we read the words of Scripture, that's not really what we see happening. And when we read Paul's letter to the churches, we never see where he invites them to say a prayer and everything's good to go for the future. But really what Paul does is he invites them to a new way of every single thing about who they are as a person. I was reading in um, my devotional book the other day, and it said that we get to a place of danger when we begin to look back on our salvation as a single moment. When we begin to get nostalgic about the moment when our faith began. Because the reality of it is, is it's a living faith. We don't wake up every morning and go, my faith begins today. We wake up every day with something new. But it's something that has always been there. And Paul said, or this, this devotional said that when we look back to a single point and we base everything off that single point, we're not growing in our faith. We're becoming kind of stoic. And that's a dangerous place to be. But when Paul has been teaching us from this letter to the Roman church, he, he starts with the very deepest part of an individual. And he says, that is where your faith is built. That is where your faith comes alive. And that is where your battles happen. It doesn't really matter what's happening in the world because the battle is happening within you. And if we can't acknowledge that and we can't approach that, then we're not going to win out. And he talks about that fleshly spirit within us. And then he talks about the spirit of grace that we've been talking about. But he begins the chapter and he says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me real quick before we go any further? Father God, I thank you for the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church. That he acknowledged that within each one of them there was a struggle going on. A struggle between the old self and a natural fleshly self. And this newness that the Spirit invites. And God, we acknowledge that there's that struggle within our own selves. And that so many times we fail in that battle. 
But God, as we're going to learn today, we thank you for grace. We thank you that all of this is done through your son, Jesus Christ. And all of it is accomplished because of what he did and not what we have done on our own. God, I ask that through the working of your spirit, that you would open your word for us this day. God, let us receive it. Let us find life in it. And God, let us share it with the world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when the spirit of the living Christ is alive and at work in an individual, sin and death are no longer holding control over eternity, and they are no longer holding control or given authority over the earthly life of a person. But as we've talked about for the last several weeks, that's not always the case. Sometimes it feels like our flesh is more in control than the Spirit of God is in our life. If the law of the Old Testament, the law of Moses, is, is even according to this new thing that Paul is saying, this law of the Spirit, this Old Testament law is no longer the way that God even regards us or looks at us. So if an individual has been born again, and they have made the decision to forsake a fleshly heart, and they have chosen to have faith in Jesus Christ, Paul says that the Holy Spirit takes up evidence in the person, and they become as an adopted child of God. They refer to him as the most intimate, trusting way, as Abba or Daddy. Not just a title that is given, but one that has been earned. Somebody's your father when they take part in making you be born. Somebody becomes your daddy when they have earned that title, when they've been there, when they become that safe place that they can go to. In verse 17, Paul said, if we are the children of God, then we are also heirs of his glory along with Christ. So just as Christ has received glory from God, he said that's what is in store for people who are known as the children of God. And if you'll notice what I'm doing is I'm going through and I'm pointing out all the things just in this one chapter that Paul says is a part of living a new life in Christ. But, as we also learned, if we are living for Christ and we are letting the law of the Spirit guide our lives, then we're going to be out of tune with the world that we are living in. And in verse 18, or verse 17, Paul says that if we are to be heirs of God's glory, then we're also going to share in his suffering. The reality of it is, is that if we're going to live out of tune with a broken and depraved world, then we are going to experience suffering. We're going to experience sufferings that are either natural, things that humans don't cause, or things that are man-made. Somebody caused them to happen to us, or we've caused them to happen to ourselves. And a lot of times we don't like to acknowledge those because that puts us in the hot seat. But Paul reminds us in the very next chapter that when we face sufferings in this life there's an eternal glory that also waits for us and he says these glories that await for the person who is alive in Christ are so wonderful that the things that we experience in this present life we can't even compare to and I shared with you how in 2 Corinthians he said all of these things are producing an immeasurable weight of glory so the more that we suffer because of trying to live for Christ in this life the more we will experience that glory later on. Matter of fact, a few verses down, he, he says that all these things work together for those who are good, who are called according to his purpose. 
And on top of that, he also said in verse 26 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness and it intercedes on our behalf with things that we can't even understand. So when we're having a bad day, when something bad is going on that we're experiencing, we're going through a season, we can't understand why it would happen. God said if we would just cry out that the Holy Spirit who is present and residing within us will take those things and will bring them to the foot of God in a way that we can't even communicate. Beyond our ability to communicate. You, you know those things where you can't really explain what's going on inside of you. Paul says, don't worry because God's already got that under control. God already hears you in those things. So he says, have faith because your heart is connected through the Father's heart. So we finished up last week in verse 30 where we see that God calls his people. Then God gives them the right standing with himself through the presence of the Spirit and through the work of Jesus Christ. And then he invites them to new community where it says that he fills them with his glory. But then we talked about how sometimes we don't live in that glory. Sometimes we still try to live apart from God, letting God do the work in us that he wants to do. And it brings us to a point where I, I think many of us find ourselves. Do we ever feel like God is not giving us much glory? That God is not spending much attention on us? I was listening to an um, interview the other day with a, a leading astrophysicist. I'm not going to throw his name out there. I thought about it. I was like, that's not fair. Um, and he's talking about evidence for a good God. And he said, the reason I don't believe in God is the evidence that is there to prove that God doesn't exist. And he said, the idea of the Christian faith is that there is a God and that he is a good God. But if you look around and you see tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and fires and all those things like that, that is evidence to say that there is either not a God in existence or he is not a good God to allow people to experience such things that they did not bring on themselves. And honestly, for the world, that sounds like a very, very good statement. That how could a good God allow such things to happen? And how could we, we endure such things if God does truly love us? And I think that is the reason that Paul wrote this chapter of life in the Spirit. We talk a lot about a Christian perspective, don't we? And I shared with you that this fleshly understanding is not just carnal, sensual, physical things, but it's the mentality by which we approach everything. It's that perspective that we have on all things. So Paul acknowledged that there's no condemnation for those who were in Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing. We, we rejoice in that. But sometimes it feels like God's pretty far away. Sometimes we feel like maybe God is not paying much attention to us. And there's several reasons for this. Perhaps um, we've been allowing the flesh to enjoy a little bit more attention um, in the way of our thinking. We're thinking about things a little bit more like the world would, trying to put hard numbers in place of faith. We're thinking of things the way that maybe reason would handle things instead of the way that God tells us we are, are to trust in Him or believe in Him. Or perhaps the flesh is taking a little bit more priority in our priorities. 
the things that we consider important, the things that we consider are necessary for our well-being and our moving forward in this life. Or perhaps Satan is trying to keep us from realizing what God is wanting to accomplish. You know, it's gotten kind of scary to talk about Satan now. And there's honestly, there's two ways that we think about Satan. We either lay all the blame on Satan and we say it's all his fault. He, he's the reason that we went out and did stupid things. Or we think of him as like this mythical creature who is there just specifically so we'll have a place to blame. But you know, I've shared with you, this with you several times that Satan's goal is not to make you a bad person. It's not to, to go out and ruin your life. It's just to keep you from realizing God and thinking about God. And when we allow the flesh to be how we live life and, and to control how we think and how we, we move, that gives Satan the perfect foothold. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what victories can Satan have if he can keep the Christian from ever realizing it, experiencing it, or sharing it? Just imagine what Satan could accomplish if he could keep a Christian from sharing their faith. All the people that you come into contact with every single day will, will never hear what Jesus has done in you or what Jesus wants to do. Imagine what would happen if Satan could keep you from realizing that there is no condemnation if you live with the Spirit alive in you. That's how we live our life a lot of times. Not allowing the Spirit to take hold but then Paul says something here in the next eight verses that I, I think is the icing on the cake of this chapter. And honestly, I think it's the icing on the cake uh, of this in, entire book. And it's something that we would do well to memorize. Honestly, these next eight verses, if you could memorize them and tell them to yourself every day in the mirror, I, I think it would be a very wise move. But I want you to hear these next eight verses. It's verse 31 through verse 39. So what shall we say about such wonderful things as these, that if God is for us, then who could ever stand against us? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he give us everything else he has? Who dare accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has even given us right standing with himself. So who then can condemn us? No one. It is because Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is the one sitting in place of honor at God's right hand, pleading and interceding on our behalf. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, if we're persecuted, if we're hungry, if we're destitute or we're in danger or we're threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day and we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, there is overwhelming victory, and it is ours through Jesus Christ who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears of today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. There is no power in the sky above or below the earth. Indeed, there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have no trouble living as Christians with the thought of there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
It is the whole tenet of why we make a profession of faith. But we very rarely ever live as the church with the understanding that there is also no separation from those whose Jesus Christ loves. And we allow Satan to have that foothold in our lives to change the way we think about God, the way we approach God, and the way that we live this life. So I think there is evidence of God's love. I think it's all over the place. You know, Paul said earlier on in the book that uh, no person is without excuse because there's evidence of God all over creation. But I think there's evidence of God's love all over the place too. We just simply allow our flesh to keep us from experiencing it. You know, I see the evidence of God's love in y'all. A lot of times I do. I see the evidence of not God's love in y'all too sometimes, so don't get me wrong. But I'm, I'm sure you see that in me as well, and I, I think that's because we're just people. We're trying to figure this out. But when Paul was writing this letter, and this is important for us to understand, he wasn't writing it to be this magical, mystical thing put in a book and com compiled and heralded as some important great text. Paul was writing a letter to people like you and like me. He was writing friends, and he wasn't writing about the worst things that we could experience in life when he rattled off that list there in the last couple of verses. But he was writing to things that they literally were experiencing on a daily basis. Authority and powers, rulers, famine, sickness, death, disappointment. He was writing to things that you and I are guaranteed to experience as we live in a broken world. But the whole thing that Paul was trying to get the reader to hear, and is trying to get you and I to hear, sorry I don't have a lot of funny points today, this is some serious stuff here. But the whole thing that Paul was trying to get us to understand is that there is community between an individual and the living God. That is what is to be experienced in a life of faith. It's not a new list of rules to live by. It's not a new group of people to impress or please. But it is community between a creation and the creator. An unbridled community that exists even despite a broken world. Even despite a depraved mindset. Paul says that Jesus Christ died to invite you to live again. He said, I will give you rest, but yet we turn it into work. He says, I will give you peace, but yet we allow Satan time and time again to make it a struggle. He says, I will give you joy, but yet we make it a job. So I want to tell you this this morning as the church that Jesus Christ died to give us life, to give us purpose, and to give us hope. Not just to exist. Not just to look the part. But he invited us to experience God's blessing poured out on us in ways we could never imagine. A, a, a glimpse of what eternity is going to look like. So yeah, we're going to experience struggle. We're going to experience hard times in this life. It's guaranteed. But Paul said that is not 
what Christ came to give us. But Christ came to give us all the things that God had available. Today is Communion Sunday where we are joining together to remember Jesus and his disciples on that night when they came and broke bread and shared together that meal before he was arrested. And I've shared with you several times uh, about how Jesus saw his friends and where they were and, and what they were going to experience and who they were when he first found them and all that. But I think the point that we miss in communion a lot of times is that Jesus was establishing something new between God and people that sin had come to destroy, that Satan had come to cloud and to hide in hopes that God's people would never experience it. So when we come up here and we, we eat the bread and we drink the juice, yeah, it's symbolic. I mean, it's not, we're not in, in heaven and we're not joining together at God's banquet table. But imagine, imagine how awesome it would be if we lived like that. If we lived each day in God's presence, aware of God's presence. You know, I've learned my biggest problem in life is that I'm just dumb. I'm just not aware of stuff. And I do something stupid before I even thought about it. And I'm like, man, I wish I'd thought about that two seconds earlier. I wouldn't have done it. Whitney's like, yes, man, that's true. Yes, man, that's wise words. See, the reality of it is, is that's, that's where Satan wants us to live. Looking back and going, man, if I'd have just been aware of it. So Paul wrote this letter to remind people that we are to live in the Spirit of God here and now. There's no condemnation, but there's also no separation. And if there's no separation, then why aren't you and I experience the fullness of Jesus Christ in our lives? Why aren't you and I having the, the same things happen in our lives that Paul did? Where we can sit in a jail cell and lose everything and say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Where we can say, I rejoice in these sufferings because I know that that's going to lead to a better, a better thing in the future. I can rejoice in this going on because I know that God's glory is so much better than this. Why aren't we standing up in front of thousands of people talking about new life? Why aren't we sharing it with people on a, on a daily basis? Every conversation not steeped and what God has done. It's because we allow that flesh to hold on just a little bit too much. So when